Good morning, everybody, and it's really good um, to be here. It's always nice to come to Beaver because there are so many like faces that I know and recognize, and obviously Gordon and Emma are longtime friends of ours. Um, we were bridesmaids and groomsmen and all sorts for one another um, and have grown up together, so it's always nice to be here. And yes, Beaver gives us £250 every month. And that is so valuable to the work that we do. So we are incredibly grateful to you for the support. Um, and also there will always be a direct sort of like DNA link with Beaver, with the Larder. Beaver was really, without Beaver, the Larder would not exist. And I'm sure Adrian, many of you may know that story, but Adrian, if you need to know it any further, I'm sure Adrian will chat and tell you about that. But <clears throat> a number of weeks ago, my colleague Ali wrote a, um, I don't know what you'd call it really, but um, wrote something for um, an event that we were doing to share a little bit about um, the work of the Larder and to draw a picture um, of the work in words, really. So I'm going to read, start by reading that to you. It shouldn't have to be like this. We'd love to be put out of business. There's a man at the Larder quietly turning down chilled food making himself small and avoiding our eyes. Moving silently through the shop, he fills his basket with some tinned meatballs and packet needles. Tommy, why don't you take some milk and cereal? Gemma asks. He politely declines. But Gemma is savvy. She's been through too much herself to let this one slide. Something's up and she's got the right kind of nature to get him talking. After a few more questions, Tommy says he hasn't been able to keep his fridge running. The electric costs too much. I think we can help with this. Let me go talk to the bosses at the back. This is the first moment Tommy makes eye contact. He looks up with tears and he says firmly, somber, don't you embarrass me here, please. But Gemma puts him at ease and speed walks her way past two young dads fumbling their way through a pile of nappies, trying to find the right size. Right to the back, where she takes a moment to compose herself before recalling the encounter to me. Witnessing this kind of struggle takes its toll on the team. It shouldn't have to be like this. Of course, we'd love to be put out of business. Meanwhile, a familiar face from Instagram sticks her head through the side door and calls Ali outside. When she sees Amber Lee, she gives a big smile and follows her out. It's Amber Lee's turn to deliver the groceries that Oakfield Drive collects together as a street. But it's the first time she's seen a queue forming at our front door and she is overwhelmed by the sight. There's tears and a hug which still feels a little risky as it's the COVID regulations that has us asking people to queue outside. But there's this sense of connection from one street to another. The despair is catching, but it also breeds a kind of solidarity. It shouldn't have to be like this, of course. We'd love to be put out of business. Back inside, on another night, Alison, a volunteer, is encouraging a regular of ours to sign a postcard demanding emergency measures for the cost of living crisis. Stephanie signs the card no bother, but when we flip it over and encourage her to put her own words down, she's stumped. 
I don't know what I'd say, she shrugs and slides the postcard back to Alison. Stephanie is a single mum. Her two little ones are at home here in the larder. The wee boy chases the cat while her daughter makes eyes at the treat box until someone says, ah, go on. Stephanie is also pregnant. This will be her third child. Alison pushes the postcard back to Steph and points us out the fourth item in our list of demands. Scrap the two-child limit. I suppose that one is important for you, Stephanie. You'll have another child to feed soon. There's this tiny moment of connection, a flicker. It's fleeting, but it's ignited long enough for her to write down this. Child tax credit for every child. Child benefit needs to be up. When Ali is sorting through the postcards later, it would be easy for her to dismiss this one. There's not a personal voice in it, no anger, just a handful of words really. But she wonders if Stephanie is worn down by the years of austerity cuts, rolled out with flagrant disregard for the unpaid work of care. Decisions that have worked against her flourishing. Or she wonders if she never really knew to expect anything better in the first place. It shouldn't have to be like this. Of course we'd love to be put out of business. Except we have stopped saying that now because there's more to each of these stories. Tommy got his electric bill topped up with us. It started coming, he started coming regularly and even offered lifts to others who had a long way to walk with their weekly food shop from the larder. He got a job recently and just a few weeks ago we encouraged him to talk to a journalist about his experience with intimidating money lenders. He makes eye contact with us readily and we really hope that he's realised he has nothing to be ashamed about. The shame isn't on him. It's with those that have made policy decisions that have pushed him further into debt. And the two dads figuring out nappy sizes? One was Polish and the other is inner East Belfast, born and bred. We've all been told a lot of things about these two demographics of young men, but those stereotypes are defied by the spectacle we have in the larder when they both put language and cultural barriers aside to help each other figure out what size of nappies they need. There's a lot of gesturing as they try and show how high up from the floor their kid is. It's got them both laughing and eventually they come to a consensus and send us searching up the back for their decided upon sizes. There are hundreds of little micro-connections like this that happen in the larder that don't take place in your average Tesco or Little. The faces here are familiar. Their struggles are worn on their faces, but there's also so much laughter and people rarely go away without having had a proper chat with someone. So we have stopped saying we want to be put out of business and started building upon our strengths and really meaning business. We've stopped defining those we encounter by their deficits and started framing them by their assets. We've stopped referring to people as clients or service users and we've invited them to become members. And controversially, we've stopped giving people ongoing free food. And instead, we've together agreed upon an affordable shop, 
harnessing the collective buying power and sourcing local nutritious food that is guaranteed weekly. I mean, our business model sucks. There's no profit margins here, and we'd be stumped without the support of donations from people like you to bulk out those shops. But the payment is way more than a token gesture. It is a step towards resilience and sustainability. No more leftover food for leftover people. Now, yes, it's up there. Thank you, Finn. <clears throat> now, I know that um, Beaver um, is a creative bunch and an artistic bunch, so I'm hoping someone can tell me the name of this painting. The Gleaners. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Helen. <laughs> Do you know who painted it, Helen? Oh, sorry. That, that's it. Anyone know who painted it? Emma Smith did a degree in art, so come on. <laughs> Hang your head in shame there, Emma. It was Jean-Francois Millet in 1857. Now, I don't know if anyone's seen this painting before, but it was painted um, with a technique and a proportion that was usually reserved for really grand religious subjects. Okay? Um, and it's these three women in the front you can see who are um, picking up sheaves of corn. And in the background, it's probably not quite so easy to see where the sun is shining. You can see the big um, bales held high and the workers are in white and they have, they have already done their harvest. Um, and Mele was using this technique and this idea that it was massive because he was trying to make an, a point. And he was reminding um, the French um, at that time about the religious imperative there was to give everyone access to the means of production. It says in Leviticus 19, 9 to 10, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. That's not charity. That was not, I want you to be generous to those less fortunate than yourselves. It says, I am the Lord your God. This is the way I have ordained society. You cannot keep people from the means of production. I am the Lord your God. This is how I created things. At this time in France, <clears throat> Gleading rights were in hot debate. Historically, landowners in France um, were obligated to leave the corners of their fields unplowed um, for the poor. But now it was becoming to be seen as charity, that something these landowners did out of the goodness of their heart and should be able to withhold, that there were trespassing issues. Bourgeois landowners complained that gangs of women were pilfering their crops this was not the social order that God had led down. This was not what gleaning was about. It was about giving access to everyone to the means of production. Now, if we relate that to where we are now, what would that look like for us? Because I know like, not many of us feel that. I'm not going about to go around to the fields and start lifting up little bits. of. I wouldn't even know where to start, to be fair. But if we were to translate that, into today's society, 
Giving access to everyone to the means of production could mean giving access to everyone to accessible transport, to um, job markets, to Wi-Fi and the means to access the Wi-Fi, to a good education. And while we're on the subject of education, can I just get mad about something? Because I heard yesterday one of the mothers in um, the Lord Order Community Mail Friday night said to me, I asked, was their child going to be doing the 11 plus? And she says it costs £60 to do the 11 plus. Now, I have investigated it further and you can get, you can fill in copious amounts of forms and things and then receive um, support with that. But it costs £60 to do the 11 plus. Have we set aside that cost for the worst off in our society? What about the costs involved in all the tutoring that goes on to get your child through the 11 plus? That is not accessible to many people living in and around the areas in which we work. Just think about that. Those are things we don't often think about. That is excluding people from the means of production, excluding people from the right to um, being able to access all the schools, excluding people from being able to uh, improve themselves or you know, all of those ways. So anyway... So it was these things, and this painting you will now find will be hung up in the larder, just to remind us of this imperative that it is about an obligation we have and not charity. And so we have now had a shift of emphasis in our work in the larder. And there are three focuses we have. <clears throat> the first is that we meet sort of the immediate need. And when I say we meet the immediate need, when people um, come to the larder uh, and they arrive at our door and they are hungry and in distress and they have no money, they do get some food. But we will also redirect them to a food bank because we are no longer a food bank. And this is a really important message to get across. We are done. We should all be done with food banks, to be honest. But we are no longer a food bank. So we will refer them to a food bank for immediate help for emergency. Um, the second is that it's time for us to start challenging the systems. Um, and I don't know about you, but the news at the moment is pretty overwhelming <laughs> everywhere you turn. <laughs> you could be weighed down with the enormity of what is going on in our world. But there are things we can do about it. And more and more I am realizing that the charitable model that the church has used for so long is allowing these things to happen. We have forgotten who Jesus was. And you'll find actually, sorry, going through the course that should be sent, she didn't say much about the Bible in this. And I'm sorry, yes, I won't be quoting much about the Bible. Because when we go back to the Bible, I think it was um, Michael Wardlow did a talk here recently, I was listening to it, it was really, yeah, sometimes when we get, we get caught up in what we already know, or we, what we think we know the Bible says. And we know all those verses, don't we, about um, uh, the poor will always be with us. Oh, well. Okay, they're only with us. Never, we can never solve that problem. Jesus says they're always with us. Uh, what's the other ones? Oh, yeah, about feeding the hungry and clothing the poor. Right, and you can take those verses and say, there you go, I have to feed you, and you're, you know, there, you're poor, here, have some food. Or, um, you know, sorry, you're hungry, 
have some food, you're naked, have some clothes. All of those things which are good things. But Jesus did not go to the cross because he wanted us to be charitable. Jesus went to the cross because he was challenging the systems and the um, institutions and the, the way we were doing things, and he was making people feel, and those in power, he was making them feel really uncomfortable. That's why he ended up hung on a cross. That's why they put him there. Those were the reasons that they came to get him. Jesus was a revolutionary. And if we take little tiny bits from the Bible, we miss the fact that when you read the whole story, you realize here was someone who was here to change the world, and he's calling us to do the same. So when we get stuck in that idea of just meeting immediate need, and it need, it does need to be done, so I'm not I'm not dissing this, and this is amazing. Please, I mean, I have a whole other thing. I could talk a whole other time about mirrors and um, the way refugees and asylum seekers are being treated in this country amongst us, um, and this is all very much needed. But it is only one bit, and when we as a church get stuck in charity, things are never going to change. Um, the alleviation of poverty will not eradicate poverty. So what we need to do is we need to find our voice. It's important for the church to start getting involved um, in the politics around us. And I know that some of you are involved in political parties and things, and this is not a political party statement. But I am going to say to you that when you next get the opportunity to vote, why do we always vote about what is best for ourselves? Your role, your rule of thumb should always be what is best for the least among us. That is the very least, I believe, that Jesus would expect of the church, that we vote for those who are at the very bottom rung of the ladder and are most marginalized, not for how much money it puts into my pocket or how much more comfortable I am going to be. There is a whole disaster waiting to happen out there. And unless people in the church and good people who care and are angry about this start to stand up and protest and speak out and use their vote for the betterment of everyone, we may as well pack up and go home. Nothing is going to change. And so that is why within the larder, our next step is challenging those processes. Um, we have joined marches. Some of them have made us very uncomfortable, can I say? Because when you stand on a march and get called comrade, you suddenly, it's, oh, what have I just entered here? But we also recognize that there is more of a socioeconomic divide in this country than there is um, a green-orange divide, wherever you want to put that. You know, the differences are massive. And we have a role to play in changing that. We have a role to play in engaging with our politicians. And this morning, I have brought along our postcards to power. Sorry. Um, some of you may follow us on Twitter and um, social media may already have seen these. But um, we were at a crush, um, crushed by the cost of living crisis um, at Stormont a number of weeks ago. Dr. Kira Fitzpatrick, who is an academic who speaks uh, um, on these subjects, put forward four asks of um, Stormont. They were to pause social security debt for six months, reinstate the £20 uplift to universal credit and extend to legacy benefits, one-off payment of £500 to those entitled to disability benefit or carer's allowance, 
remove the two-child limit for universal credit and tax credits. And we've been asking people coming to the larder to fill these in, um, send them to their, well, uh, address them to their local MLAs, and then to use the opportunity to write their own statements on the back. Um, how things have affected them. Can I say that has been profound? The words of people who have lived experience of poverty and what it has meant to them has been profoundly moving. Um, and getting their voices heard, trying to get their voices out there and encouraging part of our, we feel it's part of it is to encourage the church to motivate itself politically. So within the new structures, <clears throat> we have also then, because changing systems and changing governments and changing the way we do things is not something that's going to happen overnight, we have also decided that we needed to, um, a third element, and that is that we need to, how do we change how we work within the system that already exists? And this is where you have to get creative. So by doing that, we have decided upon this membership model where those who used to access the larder as a food bank now can become members, become Samson members for a cost of £5 a year. And then every week that they shop with us, um, depending on the size of their family, whether it'll cost them either three, five, or seven pounds. And for that, we've been working with local greengrocers and um, local suppliers to give them access to fresh fruit and vegetables. Uh, when I say fresh fruit and vegetables, I mean fresh fruit and vegetables. I don't mean the uh, leftovers from the Tesco at the end of the night when they've decided can't sell that. Um, and so we buy them fresh fruit and vegetables. There's fresh milk, fresh bread, uh, plus um, more stuff on the, the shelves that we've had before, the same kind of tinned items that they can access. And we try to keep the range of goods similar each week so that people know that when they come there, they know this is, I can get this. This is what I can get. I can plan my shop around this. Um, but also, the question we're asking is how we can we collectively feed our community? You know, this is something for everyone. Our other value is around the planet and what we can do for the planet. So when people come to the larder, and honestly, I need a bag with me. Um, we also supply them with a laundry egg. That's part of their membership. Anyone use a laundry egg? No? Well, you're one of us. Laundry eggs look like this. You fill them with pellets. Gives you 70 washes, good for the environment, and then you can return and we will give you refills for your egg. So as we move forward, we're also thinking about the environment. How do we reduce our footprint? How do we feed people sustainably in this country? That means that we're no longer just talking to people about food poverty, but we're also talking about to people about um, um, access to food production, access to food sustainability access to equality. Um, we're looking at our foods being local and healthy. We're looking to develop a, a membership scheme whereby um, people can have um, become part of community meals where they do cook, they learn how to use waste and make the most of their food. Um, all of the above and just build community and solidarity together and also learn how to advocate for themselves. 
how they remove the shame from themselves that has been placed upon them and start putting the shame on the systems where it belongs. Um, we're going to empower individuals to find their voice. Um, and we want to bring communities together. So the second part of our membership model is called the Goliath membership. Uh, we haven't quite got this off the ground yet. It has caused us slightly more problems and we've got distracted by a cost of living crisis that is threatening to swamp us at the moment. Um, but the Goliath membership is going to offer, uh, open up the membership to people who perhaps could afford to go and shop in their local um, supermarket but are concerned enough about food equality and where their food comes from that they would consider coming to us and becoming part of a food buying group um, whereby they can access zero waste um, items and um, as ethically sourced items as we can get and that they will pay for those and help fund the other work of the larder. And they will have access to all the same things as the other members have access to. Um, they have community meals, they get involved, so that we build community around food. We build sitting down around the table together around food. Uh, we build advocating for one another around food. And we provide a space whereby I, out of my um, excess, I meet your lack, and out of your excess, you meet my lack. It's called mutual aid. It's not charity. Social justice and mutual aid are what we're aiming for as opposed to charity. We need to get away from the charitable model of working as a church. And social justice and mutual aid, they're messy. Um, it's slow. It's difficult. It's often uncomfortable. But it's the only way of changing things. So this morning I have brought along, um, they're all very messy, our own postcards to par. Um, if you would be interested in signing one of these and making a little statement on the side, now you don't have to have lived experience of poverty to be angry about poverty. Um, feel free to vent your anger and frustration about some of the stories you see, uh, you've heard. Um, equally, Let's not assume that everybody sitting here today is not terrified about what is coming down the road and is not terrified of how they're going to make mortgage payments or feed their homes or feed their children or pay £60 to do a 11 plus. The truth of this matter, the shame is not on you. The shame is on the society that we have created and it's time to start redressing that and it's I believe the church is the best place to start doing that. And I believe that we have a mandate to do that. And I believe it is the gospel to do that. What is good news if it's not equality for everyone and access to the means of production and access to the dignity that brings? If you remember, those women, uh, the women in the gleaners weren't uh, standing back asking for handouts. They were doing the hard, heavy labor of you know, bringing in the harvest, but they had access to the means of production. The fact that we have access to the means of production is often so much more about the luck and the um, uh, I told you this would happen, Susan. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, about luck and just an accident of birth than it is about any hard work or anything that you do. Um, 
I, uh, forgive me if I seem to be getting very political. This was never my bent, um, but I've just found myself in this space now and find that this is where God has taken me. It's time to change systems, and we can do it. But you need to get angry, and you need to realize that you can change things, and you, re- you need to realize that your vote is very important. And when you vote, that I would ask you to consider voting for what is best for those, uh, you know, and with without a voice, for those who are on the margins, for those who are in in real trouble, and not just for what is good for you. Thank you. <laughs>